This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. How how badly can you fail? Like, yeah, as far as like safety goes, is there any clues or, or signs that, oh man, I better not eat this wheel or any concerns there in general? It can really scare you when you're like, <laughs> like I, I could kill my family. <laughs> Yeah, anytime we try something new with homesteading that involves food, I worry that's going to happen. In today's episode, we're going to talk cheese making with Robin from Cheese from Scratch. Hi friends, Robin here from Cheese from Scratch. And she's going to tell you everything you need to know so that you don't kill your family. And also some great advice on how to get started with cheese making. Robin's going to walk you through everything you need to know. Let's talk. Cheese Making 101 on today's episode of Home Study. The world that we live in is a crazy place. This is a pandemic. And a toilet paper tussle. Inflation hitting a new... They are protesting. But you and me, we can make a difference. By just starting a garden, harvesting rainwater, raising some meat chickens with a couple of friends. All these little steps... Bit by bit, it makes life better for you, me, and our kids. So if you've wanted to start homesteading, or maybe just grow your homestead a little bit bigger this year, well, you've found the right podcast. Cozy up, it's time for another episode of Homesteady. Before we dive into cheese making, a quick reminder. Every Homesteady podcast interview that you hear on iTunes or watch on YouTube is actually an edited version of of a show that we do with the Homesteady Pioneers live. The full-length show is about twice as long. There's, in this episode, about twice as much information about cheese making. If you're a pioneer and you want to enjoy the full-length version, just click the link in the description of this podcast. And if you're not a pioneer but you want to watch the extended versions of our show, click the link that says Become a Pioneer in the description of this podcast. We'd love to have you join the amazing community of serious homesteaders over at thisishomesteady.com. Now let's get into cheese making. We haven't even showed this on the channel yet, but we got a brand new dairy cow. So this is Massachusetts. 
new Guernsey girl. She's got some cow snot on me. <laughs> and this was a big step for us because she is a full size. She's not a mini in any way. Full size Guernsey. And being a full size Guernsey dairy cow, she gives gallons and gallons and gallons of milk to us every day. Look at all that milk. Oh man. I think you're going to be happy. Wow. We're milking her twice a day. We're not even calf sharing, which is something we usually do where we give the calf some of the milk and then we keep some for ourselves. She doesn't have a calf, so we have got to milk her twice a day. So we have been drowning in milk and that inspired Kay to make a really big step in our homesteading world, starting to make cheese. So of course, she did what we always do. She started something, she got a couple books, and then on our different social media, little Instagram, little Facebook, she's looking at different accounts. She stumbled across Robin and Cheese from Scratch. Hi friends, Robin here from Cheese from Scratch. So today we're gonna be making feta cheese. Ah. That's Robin's uh, Instagram name. And we have links in the description of this video if you wanna go follow Robin. Do it right away, you will not regret it. There's so much to learn from Robin. And so without further ado, welcome to Homesteady, Robin. Hi, how's it going? I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you. We have a million questions. So Robin, you're more, more than a cheese maker. Uh, you have a very full homestead. Tell us, before we get into just making cheese, tell us a little bit about your homestead. Yeah, so we're um, in northern BC, Canada. Uh, my husband and I have three children ages two to eight, and uh, we grow like a big garden, all our own beef and like chicken and stuff, um, and then obviously all our own dairy. I think it's been about seven years since we um, got our first milk cow. Uh, my husband and I have a cattle rancher, so we have 250 beef cows, and that's kind of the reason how we got into having a milk cow to begin with was because of the beef cows so it was a kind of a funny story but I came home one day and there's a this Holstein cull cow <laughs> uh, so like a cull cow is a um, cow that like dairies they call out of their herd so my husband went and got this Holstein cull cow and was like hey look I got a milk cow today <laughs> uh, and so that's how, kind of my intro into cheese making was that uh, did you have any dairy experience yourself before you wound up with your your first Holstein there not at all. Yeah. Like I grew up on a um, beef cattle ranch, but like, it's so different having a dairy ca um, cow compared to a beef cow. Um, they're just like, I like from like Kate from Venison for dinner. She's really awesome. But she compares like the beef cow to like the old pickup truck. And then the dairy cow is like the Porsche, like, you know, <laughs> the fancy model where you have to take care of them a little bit better. <laughs> So Robin began this journey that would lead her to becoming a cheese maker with zero experience. And that's actually the same for Kay and I. We have no history in ever making cheese, but now we're getting into it. Maybe that's the same as you listening now. Maybe you're for the very first time considering the idea of making cheese. And maybe you have zero concept of how cheese is made. That's where I was when I sat down to do this interview. And I thought it was fascinating because Robin talked about how cheese, not only is it an ancient craft, 
but it's something that happens in nature all the time. Cheese has always been made. Traditionally, like milk is meant to make cheese. It's meant to come out of the um, cow's udder. It's meant to go into the calf's stomach and it's nice and warm and acidic in there. Like that environment you've just created with letting that war uh, milk warm up. And there's also in the lining of that calf's stomach is the rennet en enzyme. So that enzyme um, wow. changes how the proteins are able to stay separated in the milk and it causes them to come and coagulate. So is that how the first cheese ever got discovered or ever made? You know, if you go back a million years and there's the first curdled bit of cheese, is it something coming out of a calf's stomach somebody found? <laughs> Yeah, like no one really knows because cheese has been around for so many like thousands of years. Nobody really knows how it was discovered. And it was probably discovered in so many different places, right? Because cheese has been made all over the world. But that was probably how it was discovered because somebody was carrying um, maybe like some milk in a um, like a goat kid's stomach or something like that. They opened it up and they're like, oh, there's curds or they butchered a um, young animal and they open it up and they're like, oh, there's curds. So I think that's probably how it was discovered or one of the ways it was discovered. Forming curds in the bellies of cute little fluffy animals is how cheese is created naturally all the time in nature. But you probably don't want to have to butcher all your cute little fuzzy creatures in your homestead to have a wheel of cheese. And that's why for millennia... <laughs> Human beings have been perfecting the process of making different types of cheese outside of the stomach of cute little babies. And no matter what kind of cheese you're making, the basic process mimics what happens inside of the calf's stomach. For someone who uh, is brand new to the world of, of cheese and cheese making, um, has no idea how a, a, ball, a wheel of cheese actually even starts, uh, give us an idea of the whole process so we can just imagine how this fits into the homestead life. Uh, it's always best to use fresh milk. So I try and make um, my cheese with like the freshest possible milk I can. Like I don't go over like four days is kind of my rule of thumb. But usually if I'm going to, it's going to be a cheese making day, I'm going to plan on like I go out and milk in the morning. I come in, I bring that milk in. I'm going to put that milk in my pot and then I'm going to add in um, some milk from the last couple of days to kind of get a full pot. I usually make like a six gallon batch to like make it worth it. Um, after you do that, you're going to heat it up to a certain heat, depending on what kind of cheese you're making. Sometimes you don't even have to heat it up a little bit. You just have to get it to the right temperature so that you can add your culture in. And so once you get it to that right temperature, um, you're going to add your culture in. And there's so many different types of cultures out there, but they're basically lactic bacterial cultures. So lactic bacterial cultures are cultures that like to feed on lactose. And that's the sugar in your milk. So when you bring that milk up to that temperature, it gives these certain bacteria the temperature that they like to thrive in. Um, and then it's able, they're able to start feeding on the milk and they produce that, um, or they make that lactose into lactic acid, which starts to acidify your milk. Um, and then you're able to go on to your next step, which is to coagulate your milk. So if you left your milk just like sitting there, you put your culture in, if you left it sitting there for like, overnight, that lactic bacteria would eventually um, acidify it enough to coagulate it. But usually with cheese making, we want to like speed up the process a little bit and control it a little bit better. So we're going to add in rennet. 
Um, so rennet is an enzyme and you can get it from all sorts of different places. Um, but traditionally in the lining of that calf's stomach is the rennet en enzyme. So that enzyme um, wow. changes how the proteins are able to stay separated in the milk and it causes them to come and coagulate. And like, there's so many different forms of rennet. It doesn't just have to come from animals. You can get vegetable rennets, like it can come from like thistles or cardoons. Um, there's even like this case where um, they use, I think it's in Britain, they, the sailors used like black snails to coagulate their milk. They would oh, add wow. the snails in. Yeah, so there's so many different ways that you can get rennet. You don't actually have to get it from an animal. Um, but it's kind of if you want to follow the most natural process, that's where you're going to be able to follow it is if you use the animal rennet. Obviously, there's like some ethical issues and stuff like that. So people, it's like there's alternatives. If you don't want to use animal rennet, you can use vegetable rennet. Got it. But before, when I said that it would have taken like 24 hours to get coagulation, now you add that rennet in and you're going to get coagulation in like half an hour to an hour, depending on how acidic that milk is. Um, so it's quite, quite a quick process. And that allows you um, to kind of make cheeses that are going to um, like they bind together better. So it allows you to make like pressed cheeses and stuff like that, where you can't really make pressed cheeses if you don't add that rennet in there, um, like pressed aged cheeses, they wouldn't be as strong of a curd because the next step after you coagulate it is to start manipulating those curds. And here's where like all sorts of different cheeses, um, this is a big part where they get where they kind of become different. So you'll notice that like, if you're making certain cheeses, it's gonna be the same up to about this point. And then now you're gonna to start to have to stir them say for 45 minutes, or you have to add water in and kind of wash them, or you have to like let them cheddar if you're making cheddar cheese. So this is kind of where you start to um, kind of manipulate the cheese making process a little bit to change how these curds are acidifying and how that bacteria is feeding. Um, feeding on the cheese, basically. Um, and then also how much whey you're gonna keep within the curds and how much you're gonna release out. So depending on what cheese you're making, this is all gonna be different as well. Sometimes you're gonna press it. Um, sometimes you're gonna salt it before you press it. Sometimes you're not even gonna press it at all. You're gonna hang it, like you'll see later um, in the feta video, it doesn't even need any pressure at all, which I think is something that commonly people just don't um, get when they're first learning how to make cheese, they're like, oh, I need a cheese press. But there's tons and tons and tons of cheeses that are made just by pressing with their own weight. Um, so basically, after you have got your curds in whey, you're going to do something with them. You're either going to press them or you're going to drain them or um, whatever that's going to look like. And then um, you're going to need to add salt eventually. So that could be before the pressing or after the pressing. But salt is basically like the referee when it comes to cheese making. Like you can't make you can't make cheese with salt it's like preserving preserving meat you need salt um, so it comes in the salt comes in and it starts to regulate how quickly that bacteria is able to work it starts to um, keep other unwanted kind of bacteria at bay um, and it's it's just like a, a needed thing with it um, after that you depending on the cheese sometimes you're going to be able to store it like with the feta you're going to store it in your fridge in a brine and you're going to be able to eat it almost right away sometimes you're going to need to age it for a little bit um i vacuum seal all my like pressed aged cheeses it's like not the best practice but it's like it works really good 
um, and is able to give you like good cheese <laughs> in the end. And then you're going to need to store them in like a temperature controlled environment. So I have like an old refrigerator that I just keep them in. Um, some people have like cellars or like cheese caves or something like that. But, yeah. You know, it's serious when you have a cheese cave. That's how you're officially. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> That's where I'm heading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, we've seen your pictures of the storage and cheese. It looks like you guys have cheese just anywhere you could possibly fit it. There's some cheese. <laughs> Exactly. Before we even had a um, fridge, I would store it under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> Some people but, but keep cash like under the mattress. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One of the, see, one of the things I like and we've really enjoyed about following uh, all the stuff that you share on Instagram, uh, that's where we've been following the most, your uh, stories uh, every day. Uh, one of the things I really like is how basic down to earth so much of your approaches you show you actually got Kay inspired to start even press cheeses before she had the press uh, one of your posts about hey don't you know get too um don't let the not having the equipment stop you here's some homemade stuff that you can use uh, and we'll get into the equipment in a little bit as far as what you need um but if someone basically if someone's at zero listening to this podcast right now and they're like, oh man, that sounds really cool, but I don't have anything. What is the bare, bare minimum that someone would need to have to make a cheese? Milk. <laughs> <laughs> Milk and salt, <laughs> not even. Um, yeah, so like you can make um, like really simple, super simple cheeses just with milk and vinegar um, on the stove. Um, or you can kind of um, like go a little bit farther. And if you want to make like fancier cheeses, like say you want to make a pressed aged cheese, you don't need to go and get all the fancy equipment. You can make it with almost everything you have at home, but you're going to need to buy your um, culture or in your rennets. And um, if you are using like, pasteurized milk you're going to need to uh, buy calcium chloride which is like it comes in a little bottle like that and it lasts forever cool. um, just because when i talked about before about how the um how the proteins come together and they're bound together by calcium when milk goes through that pasteurization process it damages the calcium um so you're going to need to add back that back so the two types of cheeses you mentioned already robin you talked about a pressed cheese and a non-pressed cheese uh, can you explain to us the difference between the two and then maybe the equipment, let's go over kind of like a, a basic at home, non-pressed cheese equipment, and then, you know, beginner version of pressed cheese. So like a fresh cheese would um, would be maybe more like, I would talk about like a fresh cheese versus an aged cheese. So a fresh cheese is like a cheese that you're not going to plan on um, aging. It's going to be like, you're going to make it, you're going to put it in the um, fridge and you're going to eat it in the next week or two. Um, and so those cheeses like ricotta or like um, like mozzarella, those types of cheeses that aren't going to last a long time, 
Um, those are cheeses that are really great ones to make it in the beginning because you don't have to worry about figuring out an aging area. Um, whereas when you make like a pressed cheese, pressed cheese is like a cheese where you're taking it and you're trying to get the most of the moisture out so that it's going to last longer. And for that, I, I can see it over your shoulder in the corner, a pressed cheese, you need a cheese press. Is that the only additional piece of equipment? Yeah, exactly. And you can make one at home. So I've got all my fancy things here. So when I started, I, like I said before, I thought that I needed to have a cheese press. So I went and I bought like a kit um, that contained like a cheese making kit that contained a cheese press. And this is the one here that I got in it. And it's fine. It works fine. Um, but I never really liked it that much. I, after I used it for a bit, I started kind of using like a DIY one because um, it was just so much easier. So a DIY one, um, when you think about pressing, all you have to think about is that what you're trying to do is get the way out from between the curds. Um, so all you have to do is add pressure. And it's kind of, it's one of those things that where um, people get a little bit like confused because there's so much information about pressing. Like there's this huge math equation you can kind of calculate and figure out um, how much exact pressure you need to put on your cheese. But traditionally people weren't using that math calculation. <laughs> yeah. The guy who found the curds in the calf stomach, he didn't know how much it's... <laughs> no, he didn't have to calculate the radius of a circle to figure out how to press his <laughs> cheese. Uh, and I think that's something that really confuses people a lot because they're like, how can I figure out how to like do a DIY press at home when I have to put, because this math calculation gives you like a huge number. It will give you like 150 pounds or something like that. Like it just makes it seem really impossible. But the good thing about pressing cheese is that it's not just weight that you need to press it, it's also warmth. So um, if you're gonna make a DIY press at home, um, basically all you wanna do is you wanna put like something for the way to catch in at the bottom. So like a pan or something. Um, and then you wanna put something underneath that's gonna kind of elevate it like a cutting board or something like that. Then you're gonna put your cheese form in. And so cheese forms, you can buy them or you could just use like a spring form pan or you could use like a bucket with the bottom cut out or with holes um, kind of punched in it. But basically you just want something to be kind of structured, um, to be kind of forming your cheese basically. And then you're going to put something on top of it to like follow your cheese through. So um, like a bucket of warm water, if you use that, that's going to like significantly reduce the amount of pressure you need to put on top of there because that warmth is going to help facilitate that draining so much better. Wow. Um, so it's, yeah, it's like it's I think a lot of people just overthink it because it's just like it seems confusing, but it's not as much. And I think a really great thing to figure out how much weight you need to press your cheese is to make the same cheeses over and over again. Because it's like when you start making cheese, you want to make all the different cheeses. You're like, I want to make this cheese and this cheese and this cheese. <laughs> but if you make like a couple of cheeses and realistically, like if you go to the grocery store, you're going to buy like cheddar and maybe one other cheese. So if you kind of look at it that way and you're like, I'm going to make these kinds of cheeses and then you kind of learn what they need and what they need for your pressing system, uh, what they need for your equipment system. And it just becomes so much less overwhelming to make them basically. Is there ever a product that's ruined as far as like food safety goes and how would you even know? Coliform is a big one that you're going to bring up from the barn with you. And probably like, especially if you're um, like hand milking, 
and little flecks of poop and stuff get into the bucket. I wasn't really careful to make sure I scoop those out and clean my milk right away when I get up here. But that's the one thing about um, homesteading is where you kind of have to like figure out like it's not always ideal. And I think when you're reading like um, like the sterility stuff and stuff online, like it can really scare you when you're like, <laughs> like I, I could kill my family. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then you're, it's not, it's not so stringent. There's a good chance that there's probably coliform in that milk. And it's just about making sure that you are putting a really strong culture in there, that you're um, using really good quality milk. That's going to um, not let that coliform take off, not let it to start to feed and um, eat eat basically all the food and um, become the majority vote in that milk. And then there's other types of bacteria. There's like botulism and those kind of things. My general rule and this, you have to use your gut. That's, that's my general rule. But my general rule for myself is that if it just doesn't smell right, if it doesn't taste right, don't eat it. Um, if it smells good, it tastes good. I eat it. But you, like I said, you do have to use your gut and you have to like, if it just doesn't feel right, then don't do it. It's not worth losing sleep over. And you mentioned before, um, this probably plays a big role, the importance of following the recipe. Is it the kind of thing where, you know, with the right amount, with the right, um, you know, things that you're adding, the different um, bacterias and the rennet, and then the salt and the whole process, again, starting with good, healthy, and then also raw milk helps all these combined are going to add at the end a product you don't need to worry as much about? Yeah, for sure. Like the biggest one there is the culture, like, um, and the salt as well. Um, but the biggest one is making sure that you have a good culture um, or that your raw milk is healthy and that the culture that is going to kind of come through in there is going to be a good one. Now, something I've seen a lot on the channel, uh, mold. Mold looks like a scary thing, right? Oh no, I got a bunch of mold on my cheese. How do you handle the different molds you're gonna run into? Um, mostly for me, mold is just like a pain in the butt. It's not, <laughs> um, well, some of it, some of it's really good, like white mold and stuff. <laughs> but mostly for me, it's not something that's scary anymore. It used to be scary. Um, with a hard pressed cheese, especially with a hard pressed cheese, because they're so dense, it's really, really, really rare that you can actually save a cheese that gets mold on it. Like I have some videos on my Instagram where it's just like covered, covered in mold and the cheese is completely fine inside because it's so dense that mold can't penetrate trait um, in it. I like mold because it tells me that there's something in my cheese making environment that I need to change. Um, like maybe the humidity is too high. Um, maybe um, I need to clean my drying racks or something like that. It's letting me know that something's not right. And it's nice because bacterias, like maybe unwanted bacterias, um, usually like the kind of the same conditions that mold likes. So if you're able to see a little bit of mold, mold grows pretty fast, you're able to see a little bit of mold, you're able to take care of that issue that's causing that mold, then you're able to keep your cheeses um, more successful because um, you're able to make those cheese changes. It's just something, it's like a warning sign. If, if someone wanted to test out, like, you know, I think I want to do this without spending money on a brand new press or, or a lot of things, what cheese would you suggest make this one or maybe a couple of them try these ones before they go and then dive into all the equipment. What are the more forgiving cheeses? 
Um, feta definitely is like a very beginner cheese. Um, I would say that mozzarella is a beginner cheese, even though it's more of like an advanced cheese. But I say it's a beginner cheese because it teaches you that you actually need to follow the recipe, which I think as like I know as me as a homesteader, like I'm very much, oh, a little of this, a little of that, a little of this. <laughs> but with cheese making, um, you really want to kind of follow the recipe because the recipe is helping you to develop that lactic bacteria in the way that you want. Because basically cheese making is like decom like decomposition of cheese. And you as a cheesemaker need to control that. So when you make mozzarella, um, it's a really good beginner cheese that I think because it teaches you to follow the recipe and you're actually trying to get that cheese in a specific like pH window because it's only gonna stretch in that window. And if you can do that, then you're like, oh, I can make this cheese. I got it to stretch. I know that if I go and I make like Gouda, and I follow this recipe, then in six months when I go to eat it, it's gonna actually taste how I want it to taste. Like I always tell people, I'm like, you need to, you need to make successful cheese. Like you need to go into it thinking, I'm not gonna make all the fancy cheeses right now. I'm just gonna make a cheese that we like to eat as a family. It might just be cheddar. And we're gonna make that and we're gonna make a lot of cheddar and we're gonna eat that and we're gonna enjoy that. And then we're gonna be inspired to go on and try all these other kind of fancier cheeses. I think, I think um, that's like great yeah. advice for homesteading in general. It's so appealing to us to you know, we start getting the idea of like, oh, I want a homestead, I want to live off the land, I want to do, you know, raise my own food or my own fiber or whatever it is. And instead of thinking like, you know what, I'm going to spend five years getting to know alpacas and how to manage them, we're already knitting our sweaters in our mind, right? We're already like making our hats and our socks, but we don't even know how to work with the animals. Or for example, for us, the big one recently was bacon. I've raised pigs for a decade now. I have done I have raised them, I brought them to a butcher, I have ground up pork, I have butchered my own pigs on the farm for pig roasts. Then I, I moved into the world of actually cutting up the pig all myself, full size hog on farm butchery. But I still, after a decade, hadn't made bacon. And it was just another skill to learn and it was something that was a bit more next level for me. I needed to get a smoker and learn how to cure. And, but, but instead of worrying about making bacon the first year I got pigs, we've worked our way there. So that advice I think is so good. Don't start with like the hardest cheese you can imagine. Make some, if you say cheddar is a good hard one to start with and how much are we gonna use that, right? It's actually gonna offset our grocery bill. For someone who's, who's loving this, really wants to learn more, uh, any, you mentioned a couple books already, but just give us a list, Robin. Any good books for someone to dive into uh, that they can do some further reading on um, this? Yeah. So I like, um, like I said, I like David Asher's book a lot. I don't like it um, if you were going to um, be a complete beginner and use all his techniques. Um, I think that you need to, well, maybe you don't need to, but I'd like, in my opinion, um, I think that using a little bit of freeze-dried cultures is gonna give you the confidence you need to kind of move on to that if that's something that you're interested in. Um, I'll probably always use a little freeze-dried cultures in my cheese making. Um, Another really great book is this um, 200 Easy Homemade Cheese Recipes by Deborah Amarin Boys. Um, so this is the first one I ever had. 
Um, and this is why when I say like when you first starting making uh, start making cheese, you're going to want to make 200 cheeses because <laughs> I wanted to make 200 cheeses. Um, <laughs> but I really love her book because it's just really simple and it's really step by step. And another great thing about her book, too, is that it's set up for if you're using pasteurized milk. Um, so it's got the levels of calcium chloride you're going to need to add in there. If you're using raw milk, you can just nix that out of the recipe so you don't have to use it. Oh, but cool. um yeah, and it's good, like it goes at the beginning, um, it goes like into, it's there's some pictures and stuff um, about the different steps and stuff. So that's how I learned mostly from her book. Um, yeah. Now, of course, you have a ton of just a wealth of information. People can follow you and listen to you and watch. Uh, tell us, where do people find more of what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm almost on Instagram every day. It's become my life. Um, <laughs> I uh, try to fill up my stories with just our like cheese making life um, on Instagram because I think that it's um, like it's one thing to learn how to make cheese, but it's another thing to learn how to fit it into your lifestyle and fit it into a homestead. It's something that a lot of people don't really talk about. Um, so I have found that Instagram is the best way to showcase that. But I also have a YouTube channel. It's like a tiny baby YouTube channel, but I post a new video every Monday. Um, so there as well. And then I have a cheese making course on my website. Um, so that's like, like everything I wish I had known when I, when I started this journey, everything I wish I had known, I've put into this course. And it's basically to, it's directed at homesteaders. And it's, um, you go into it, you don't have to have any knowledge, you can have some knowledge if you want, and you go into it. And um, it teaches you how to make a press stage cheese. And at the end of it, you should be able to go through any press stage cheese recipe and feel confident about it. So there's like some tutorials and stuff in there as well. Um, but it's basically to set you up for your whole cheese making future. I, I gotta say anybody who's watching and still, still watching, you gotta, gotta give Robin a follow. I loved what your goal was there to get cheese and life homesteading across versus just making cheese. I don't make cheese. Kay does all the cheese making. But I, I have found myself watching more and more of your videos, just seeing the life balance. And, and I, I liked recently in the stories you shared your, some of your cheese fails. We love to share our failures here on Homesteady. You know, sometimes it gets you hate on social media because people think, oh, you're such an idiot. But like, everybody's going to make mistakes. Here's some of our failures. So you shared, and it was cool because you shared something that had gone wrong for one of your cheeses. And that day, Kay had a huge, like, her her digital thermometer broke and she didn't know it so it was reading the wrong temperature so she had this huge yeah. cheese fail which was totally not her fault she's like okay it says i'm at the right temperature all right good why isn't this working and it was a parmesan so a year from now we'll know if it actually worked <laughs> but uh just very approachable great information super entertaining so uh definitely go give robin a follow I get emails all the time. You're out there, you're listening, you're watching, and you want to do this so bad. You want to be a homesteader, but you can't yet. You don't have land. In those emails, you talk about someday, someday in the future, a couple of years from now, five-year plan, and that's awesome. But this is one of those episodes where I want to encourage you. If you're a someday-er, if you're a five-year planner or a one-year planner, don't wait to do something like this. Start homesteading today by learning skills 
using a product that a local farm is producing. Go find somebody. You can find somebody locally or you can drive somewhere where you can find some farm fresh milk. If you have to, you can even use milk from the supermarket. Believe it or not, you can make cheese out of that. <laughs> Learn the skill of cheese making before you have the cow and a bunch of milk. Because here's what's going to happen. It happened to us. We got our first cow and we got lots and lots of milk from her. Ladybug, our, our lovely ladybug. We had so much milk, but we didn't know how to make cheese. And our first attempts at making cheese failed. And we thought, ah, that was a waste of time. And we stopped. And we didn't make cheese for literally four years. <laughs> if we had learned to make cheese first and then got our milk cow, we would have had four years of cheese experience to talk about on this episode. Instead, I had four years of cow ownership questions about making cheese. If you're like me, if you got a bunch of cheese making questions, go pick up one of those books, give Robin a follow, Cheese from Scratch, and just start. Start homesteading, learn a skill, find a local farm to source your products from, and then send me pictures Post them online, hashtag IamHomesteady, send them to my email. I would love to see the cheeses that you all go out and make and share them with Robin too. Tag her at Cheese from Scratch. If you loved that interview and you were thinking to yourself right now, man, I wish that it was like twice as long. I was just enjoying that episode. Well, they all are. Every interview we do are twice as long as what you hear released on iTunes or on YouTube. If you want the extended versions, become a Homesteady Pioneer. You can join us live for the interviews, ask the guests questions. And if you can't catch the live one, you can at least watch the full extended version in the Pioneer Library. If you become a Pioneer today, you'll get access to the entire library, all the extended versions In this episode, Robin actually teaches us how to make a feta cheese. She did a full demo for us. It was awesome. So just click the link in the description of this podcast, or if it pops up on your screen on YouTube, click on that link. Head over to thisishomesteady.com. Become a pioneer. We have a really awesome community over there. We'd be so excited for you to join us. You help us produce this show. In return, you get access to all the extended content in addition to a lot of other really cool things. And we just revamped the Pioneer Library. We are literally just releasing that this week. Pioneers are starting to filter into this new Pioneer Library. It's incredible. I hope you can come and see it. We'd love to have you.